This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. My name is Deborah Fitzgerald, editor for the Peninsula Pulse. And today in the Bailey's Harbor studio, I have someone who I have not had here for a year, we just realized in September of 2022. And this needs to happen more frequently because she's a busy woman and there's a lot happening. So her name is Jessie Hatch and she is the coordinator for the County of Doors Broadband department. She's a department basically of one person. Yes. Yeah, with a little bit of help. So welcome, Jesse. Thank you. It's wonderful to be back. Once yeah. a year we're doing this. Well, <laughs> I'd like to have you, you know, more than that. So I have to remember to do that because there's so much going on with broadband. All of Dora County's municipalities, well, just about all of them. Dora That's County fine. has 19 municipalities plus the County of Door. And just about all 19 of those municipalities are on the journey to bring broadband to every address within their community. So Jess's job basically is to kind of oversee and facilitate that process and act as a clearinghouse for information and resources and examples. And I have to say that it has been a a blessing for me in trying to cover all of this because she really is harnessing everything and really does provide that one-stop resource point. So Jess, thanks so much for being here to talk with us. I know you're a busy woman, so we're going to try and, you know, make this as not in the weeds as possible. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Yes, right, right. So all you have to do really is ask her a question and then, you know, it just goes into, (laughs) right. So I guess most pressing, well, not most pressing, but Last evening, the town of Sevastopol had a public hearing for the recommendation that they're going to be making for the town board to decide upon on September 18. And their recommendation was to go with AT&T as an internet service provider. This is after they had selected Bug Tussle. That didn't work out. They went out to the RFP process again and came back with a number, a handful of contenders and decided among those that AT&T was the best deal. So Jess was there last night for that. And can you kind of give, give us a rundown of, you know, where municipalities are in addition to the town of Sevastopol? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I will start north and go south okay. just so I can that do it in, in order. So Washington Island, that work is done by actually Washington Island Electric Co-op. It's not done by the municipality since they're the rural electrical co-op there. And they're finishing up their like phase two of their fiber installation and will be starting on their phase three. And then they will have fiber to the premise to everyone on the island um, right. before the mainland. They got that know. big grant. Grant, right? They, I mean, yeah. they had three grants. Yeah. So I, I don't like saying it was a blessing that the submarine cable broke, but that was kind of the catalyst for all of this, which was really great for them to put the fiber in the submarine cable. Liberty Grove then is partnering with Ensite Communications, and I'm pretty sure that they're 
close to or have wrapped up their engineering process. So I would just need to get a little update from their committee chair on that. Village of Sister Bay. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Let's talk about them. Yeah, that was that was a really fun surprise. So they made the decision in July to partner with Bertram Communications to build out, overbuild fiber to the premise to everyone in the village. So let's talk about that because they had, I understood them to be almost 100% served. They are, you know, when you look at those maps and, you know, provider reporting, they are considered that. There are definitely outliers that are not served and are still on those like old frontier DSL connections. But the village was getting a lot of complaints from businesses, especially. I mean, if you've driven through there anytime recently in the past two years, you'll see how busy they are. And, you know, they're getting a lot of feedback that the current infrastructure was really struggling mm. and, you know, having problems processing credit cards. Even residents that live there that were, you know, remote workers that are having a hard time utilizing Zoom sessions or two people, you know, in the house doing things together, which shouldn't be the case okay. with what's going on. But, you know, those those download speeds are massive, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they'll just give you download for days. But the upload speeds are still limited to that 10 okay. megabytes. So that's just not sufficient enough if you're trying to do two Zoom sessions and or, you know, whatever, or even one person sometimes depending on what the infrastructure is in place and what your neighbors are doing and, you know, the businesses. So just the impact of the business and the tourism is pretty bad. And I have friends that live there that tell me the same thing. Sure. And I've heard that as well. So now they're bringing in another provider or how is that going to work? They are going to bring in a fiber provider to overbuild that area. And And when you say overbuild. Well, in essence, you know, you will have two providers in the area. So you're going to have some competition. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to be pretty much the only place where that will take place, except for like Sturgeon Bay. Well, and I I don't even know if Sturgeon Bay has a competition. Competition. I think Charter is the monopoly in Sturgeon Bay also. So yeah, it'll be great. I mean, that's really the best you could possibly ask for. You have decisions and you have a choice. Mm Mm-hmm of what you want, you know, and some people really don't want or need that cable TV connection or, you know, landline that they don't really care about. You know, there are still a lot of landline users in the peninsula just because of emergency communications and the need for that and our cellular coverage is equally as challenging here. Okay. So so then they are going to have two companies, and so people will essentially have a choice of broadband providers. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to, what, fund this to bring a second provider to every address? Yeah, they can self-fund it. They're they're a little bit different in the sense that they have much more borrowing power than the towns. So that will not impact tax levy at Mm. all for anyone. And they're really just doing this to, you know, in essence, take care of their businesses and their residents. Wow. Yeah. So capital projects that will kind of help the village future proof and and not that they need more growth, but (laughs) yeah. So then they'll they'll be borrowing to do this project. But I think I had heard it was 
three million or something along those lines? I would agree. It's it's something close to that. And forgive me because off the top of my head, but sure. yeah, it was okay. it was really close to that. All right. So moving further south, Ephraim now is not doing anything, right? Ephraim, I they have not been involved with conversations really, and they don't have a committee. Okay. Um, so I'm not really sure what's okay. going on. And then... And that really is the only municipality, correct? Or is Village it, of Forestville also. Village of Forestville. Okay. And then, I mean, I could say City of Sturgeon Bay, but because they're considered 100% served, served yeah. um, by the map, you know, they feel that they're taken care of. Okay. So... And then the village of... Ig- oh, first we get to Gibraltar. Uh, so the Gibraltar, Gibraltar. Yeah, they just made a decision Wednesday night to partner with Bertram Communications also. Okay. So that makes uh, a number of them that are partnering with Bertram. Okay. So, yeah, we have um, Sister Bay, Gibraltar, Claybanks, and Naswapi. Okay. So far. All right. So Gibraltar just made a decision on Wednesday evening. And then if we go to the village of Egg Harbor. Village of Egg Harbor had decided to partner with the incumbent local exchange carrier Frontier Communications. Okay. And that was back in June. Okay. And then the town of Egg Harbor, just about two and a half weeks ago, decided to partner with AT&T Communica- Communications. AT&T, right? Yeah. yeah, because they are the incumbent local exchange carrier. Oh, interesting. In okay. that area. I mean, they're split. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frontier and, and AT&T, but they had a really great offer from AT&T. Okay, so then that's two with AT&T now, mm-hmm. with Sevastopol and the town of Egg Harbor, which kind of makes sense. They're parallel a little bit. They kind of piggyback on each other. I mean, yeah. in terms of geography. It, yeah, I mean, they're like their neighbors. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. right. So that and Jacksonport is still with Frontier Communications. Right. Um, their engineering probably will wrap up. I would think maybe sometime by the end of September into October. And then depending on weather, mm-hmm. <laughs> as always, mm-hmm. okay. they may be able to kind of get started on some things. And, oh, my gosh, if we have a winter like last year, they would be able to get a lot of work A done. lot of stuff done. Okay, then hopping over to the Lake Michigan side, Bailey's Harbor. Yep. I think that they'll be making some decisions upcoming, too. They, from my understanding, there's some discussions Monday night, but I don't know what's going on with that yet. Okay, so they had selected Insight, and that's yep. who they have a current at least agreement right in place. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And that is one of the only municipalities that received an over one million dollar grant. Yeah. Um, so other than Washington Island, other yeah, if you add up Washington Islands, they're right, pretty- right. So and Jacksonport, I mean, they're. Their grant was a very a, a good amount, mm-hmm. but because their total that they're carrying as a town is was so low, you know, it was one point seven five million. Mm. That five hundred thousand offsets, you know, a good amount, so they'll end up carrying that one point two five million. Okay, when were they awarded that? In February, when Washington Island was That's awarded. Right. Okay. Their third phase. Okay. And that's right. We had three municipalities that were awarded in February, did we? Or was it just two? Just two. Okay. Which is the first time we've had two. Right. I remember covering that. You know, things leave my head as soon as I write the story. So (laughs) that's... All right. You're busy. That that gets us to Jacksonport. We've already done Sevastopol. So Mm -hmm. now Sturgeon Bay. I don't think we've Um, missed anybody. So town of Sturgeon Bay, they have a public meeting coming up the 18th. Okay. So Monday night, the 18th at Crossroads, they are holding their public meeting mm. to announce. So I don't know sure. who they're announcing that they'll they'll be going with, but I will be in attendance on that so that I can help answer questions and okay. and find out what that information is 
also. Okay. So then we have Nassawapi, and they had chosen Bertram. Uh, they had chosen Bertram, and um, they are having an open public meeting on the 25th Okay. at 7 o'clock. Notice how she keeps all of this stuff in her head. That's very impressive. I just updated my <laughs> calendar before I came here. <laughs> right. I have to tell you that last night she was talking about, you know, attending the meetings that, and so you were there last night at yes. Sevastopol's, town of Sevastopol's meeting, and Hugh Zettel, who is a county board supervisor, but also the chair of the broadband committee, which is Jesse's oversight committee. He calls her the secret sauce. <laughs> and I do have to agree that it is absolutely so wonderful to have somebody in your position. Thank you. And your position was actually funded with American Rescue Plan Act dollars. Yes. And it is just one of those new government positions that absolutely was needed, in my opinion, and is is just working great. So I totally understand the secret sauce part. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back down to um, Southern. Then. Yeah, Claybanks. Which is Bertram Communications. And they, they had a secondary meeting of the electors. Mid-August while I was on vacation. We did cover that. Okay. And so they did, the electors did go along with that. Yeah. And the really, the exciting part of that decision for them was not just to up the matching funds. It's that they actually said, we will fund this with or without a grant. Yeah. Which I think is fantastic. I mean, it really shows that this is needed and they really want Right. This to happen. Okay. So that's Claybanks. And yep. then how about the village of Forestville isn't doing anything, but how no. about the town of Forestville? So Forestville is part of that joint committee, the Brussels Union Gardner Forestville Joint Committee in Southern Door. Okay. Um, they are in the middle of their RFP review. Okay. Yep. So they're doing that work. They have a meeting Tuesday night that I'll be at that they're going through that like scoring process and kind of discussions and reviews to see if they're comfortable with any of those answers and if they're comfortable taking any of them to the boards and to the residents. Okay, so now that's the only consortium, really, that we have in Dora County, which is pretty cool. It is. I mean, it kind of made sense. You know, they have the Joint Fire Department and, you know, they all are, you know, communities that have worked together with other things. And I think it's it's a, a different lift in Southern Door Mm. to, you know, be able to kind of have those conversations. So it was nice that they decided to join together and kind of support each other in that. They've been a really fun committee to work with. Oh, good. So all of this is happening because every, well, A, because a lot of money was put into state funding to begin with for broadband, but then the federal money was going to be coming down. Everybody knew that that money was going to be coming down. And it's called BEAD, mm-hmm. and that is the acronym for it. And you obviously know. Broadband the, Equity Access and Deployment. There you go. Yep. And so it's called BEAD for short. Mm-hmm. And last year you were gearing up when we talked, you know, to make sure that the maps were as current as they could possibly be because the bead funding was going to be dependent upon that. And this is for the state. So Wisconsin's you know, maps needed to be very, very, very accurate or as accurate as possible. So every county was trying to help with that. Well, as many as could. Yeah. Um, it's it's 
hard. Some of them don't have GIS people. And and even though we are fortunate enough to have, I work with Zachary Schwartz, our GIS and land information coordinator at the county. And even though we do have a full-time person, you know, he's not full-time to me. <laughs> he's full-time right. to the county. So, you know, the, the survey map that we have and the work that we've been doing in trying to give feedback to the state on has really been beneficial, you know, for us, you know, we're seeing those grants being awarded because of that work. Mm-hmm. Um, the tricky part is I don't think there is secret sauce or unicorn dust or whatever you want to call it uh-huh. to help get the maps be as great as you would like them to be sure. is the hard part because, you know, that's a, it's a national map. It's that national FCC map. And ultimately what they default to is what the providers report. Right. Which, so, as we know, is not accurate. No, and it's an it's an uphill battle, um, in which we we try to do what we can to help with it and give feedback on it. But ultimately, we're going to have to rely on our local data and the PSC knowing that we've been doing this work and trying to really help as much as possible with that. Okay, and that information is important for listeners to know, just because the higher percentage of unserved people that you have the greater the chance that you're going to get more of the funding. Right. Yeah. Well, if you can prove that the reported access and speeds are inaccurate, you stand a better chance to get funding for those locations. It's just, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of, you know, it's like he said, she said. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. So now for a number of years, the Wisconsin Public Service Commission has issued grants. I mean, mm-hmm. the legislature has has put funding in. I believe the latest budget did not do that. It did not. Yeah. It was the largest request that we have ever had. We had the largest surplus that mm. we've ever had in the state. And it was very short-sighted that it was cut because even though the Wisconsin funding for our beat allocation, which the, the Public Service Commission did some amazing work, we were funded $1,055,000,000. Million. That's what I was going to get. Okay, so one billion fifty-five million is what Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin, was allocated in the bead funding, and I think that that was number sixteen among the states. We were the sixteenth state as far as like allocations go, and and you kind of see things drop off if you look at that list after us. So the PSC fought really hard for us, which is great. But we're a big state. Sure. Um, I mean, if you look at it as against like California and Texas, no, we're not. But they did a lot to ensure there was a lot of accuracy provided and a lot of heavy lift to ensure we would get a lot of that funding. But that's still not it's still not enough. If sure. you if you divide it by our seventy two counties and then look at what's needed mm-hmm. in those counties, it it goes very fast. There's, but, it's just not enough. So the rationale at the legislative, from their perspective, was that because this money was coming, then they were not going to refund the Public Service Commission's right. grant program. Yeah. Oh, well, we have all this federal money that's coming down and, and not just from bead funding. Like currently, there's a grant round that's open from the U.S. Treasury that is via the Public Service Commission for $42 million. So I think the the concept in their head was, oh, we have all this these millions and millions of dollars, like we don't need to fund the state fund. But BEAD's going to take a long time to get here. There is still a lot of work that could have been done in the interim okay. and to help that money go further because we have really extremely high cost areas mm. in Wisconsin and distances because we have a lot of rurality 
So this Public Service Commission is going to have to set a definition for extremely high cost area. And then that determines, is that location going to get funding? Is it not? Or is it going to get funding for fiber? Mm -hmm. Or do we have to then go to an alternative method for that location, which fixed wireless is great. I always say I would never give mine up because I need to work from home, but it's not always the easiest, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on topography, which we have proven here in Door County. Right. So if they, now I know, for instance, last night again, because it's so fresh in my mind, Sevastopol's meeting last night. Now their recommendation to go with AT&T, that total cost was seven, I think it was 7.4 million, if my memory serves around there, to bring broadband to every address in Sevastopol. And then AT&T was picking up 70% of that cost and the town 30%. Is that considered high cost? I know you said the definition is being worked out or hammered out, but how does that stack up compared with other quotes that have been given to other municipalities? So the extremely high cost definition is what is actually determined for those homes that are like at the end of the road. Ah. So it's that, you know, gotcha. we have these very long distances between homes. We don't have density like downtown corridors in some areas, yes, but we don't have the density when you get out into the country. So that definition is to cover, you know, those farms that you're going to see that one-off farm and then maybe a house at the end of a road or things like that. Okay. Um, You know, so it's there to determine, can we actually rationally fund getting to that location? I see. Which providers do on a regular basis and they do the math and even... Even with some of the RFP responses, I would see that, that those committees had to go back, even though they they issued the RFP and it said every address. I think they just, you know, kind of think, oh, every ab- every address that's affordable. Got it. Got <laughs> and then you have okay. to follow up and say, no, I mean, we gave you the address list. We have 1,300 addresses, every address. Okay. And then they have to readjust. And then, you know, that's where your costs go up is because we're ensuring there's equity mm-hmm. and availability for everyone mm-hmm. in every business. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. So I don't think that too many of the costs have come back yet because the engineering studies that are being done are really the things that determine it. So they are giving cost estimates on all of these RFPs. And then it's only once they do the engineering studies to see if they're going to be doing aerial versus, you know, burying. And I think Sevastopol's was a 48-52% split between aerial 48% and burying 52%, and it could be a little bit higher burying. So that, I don't know that too many of the municipalities have gotten to that stage, right? No, and every provider is going to have a different version of Mm. what their engineering is. So I think that's kind of a moving target. Got it. Yeah. All right. So you could have two companies going into one municipality and they could come up with very different engineering costs. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think the nice part is, from my understanding, Sevastopol, and I know Gibraltar's cost, and I think Egg Harbor's also town of, 
is that it's a not to exceed cost. Mm. So really, that is their set cost when it comes to the municipality. If they are that far off in their initial engineering and estimates, they're going to have to cover that cost. Okay. Last time we spoke, last September, we were the thing that was a little... Well, it was kind of at the forefront for most people, even though we really weren't there yet, was how to build out these projects via burying or Mm -hmm. aerial. So there was kind of a debate at that time about which one was better and which one should be done and that kind of thing. You had a couple of people give presentations at your August broadband committee meeting, which is really, it was very informative. It was Wisconsin Energies which is the parent company for WPS, and then SBU, Sturgeon Bay Utilities. And they both gave presentations in terms of what it takes to, A, for Wisconsin Energies have space on their poles. And for SBU, they kind of gave a nice overview of the different ways that they work with cable and with these providers. And my big takeaway from those was that municipalities really do need to be cautious. Absolutely. When it comes to the contractors, there's a lot of money that's going to be coming in and a lot of companies want to get a piece of that. And I think it was Jason Beery is that mm-hmm. yep. with Sturgeon Bay Utilities. He was talking about, you know what, there are a lot of utilities people who are retired who live in Northern Door and they could be consulting on some of these plans, some of these engineering plans. What was your objective in bringing those two speakers to your broadband committee? Well, the bead funding itself and NTIA has requirements that are in place. For NTIA, some, that's the only acronym you've dropped, which I think <laughs> is fantastic. But NTIA so, is... So they are the National Telecommunications and Information Association. Okay. They are the funding source for the bead funding. And the entire bead plan has been written and is being overseen by NTIA. And some of the work that has to be done at a state level with the broadband office is ensuring that there is environmental compliance that is regulated and taken care of with all of this work and addressing pole attachment, burial, and permitting mm-hmm. with all of this work. I think there were four things, right? Yeah. The, the four things that municipalities need to be considering when they're taking a look at installation, and that was that permitting, the environmental hazards, which right could away. be, yeah, the right-of-ways and how to work with the right-of-ways. Yeah. Okay. And so really those, the outlined compliances really are for those broadband offices to review for that bead funding. So really what the decision that I made was we also have to address this as a county and we need to address these considerations and questions at a municipal level also because they're all going to be entering into public-private partnerships Mm -hmm. with these ISPs. And this is new hat for any of us to get into. So I just thought it was important to review all those things and get answers that we need Mm -hmm. at the government level for us here locally, since the state will be doing it. And then when we have the opportunity to apply for that bead funding, we can say we addressed these needs. Okay. So really the past 
year and almost a half that I've been in this position, that has been kind of my like mountain approach to this is here's the end goal. This is the the funding that we're looking at. We need to look at all the compliances mm. and all of the work that the state's going to be looking at. And we need to be able to say locally, like we had these discussions, we addressed these things. We know for a fact, like what our plan is here mm-hmm. locally for these things. So that when the public service commission is looking at awarding out that funding, they will see that we did the work in all these areas. That then is an introduction for municipalities. These are all of the things that you're going to be facing as we go down this journey. Okay, so it was a nice introduction to that. It was, and then I'm going to take and compile that information that Jason Biari was so great about. You know, he has been working with Sturgeon Bay Utilities for over 20 years at this point. And, you know, normally... There's not anyone at a municipal level that's going to follow up and look at work that's being done, whether it's utility work or communications work. And in that permitting process, there's not really any questions or necessarily someone tracking, like, did you actually do what you're going to say? What is your plan? What is, you know, what is your remediation for this? How are you addressing environmental? Like, what are you going to do? And um, historically, you know, what we're seeing nationwide, but also the feedback that Jason gave me is that like, people don't have a lot of trust in telecommunications companies. And, you know, when someone is contracted to come into any area, whether it's our area, or a different county or a municipality to do that work, you know, there's subcontractors that are going to be doing this work. And there's no one that follows up to make sure that they actually did what they're supposed to do. And or was there an issue that came up? Was something damaged? Mm -hmm. And did they tell anyone about it? Because from what he's telling me, you know, he even finds that sometimes their utilities infrastructure is damaged and no one tells them. And then they find it years later when they're doing work to do something else. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's, there's a cut in this line. Or they hit another communications in the right of way. And maybe it's old and it's not in use, but like they didn't know. So mm-hmm. they didn't tell anyone. So it's really trying to ensure that we have some best practice in place and ensure that we kind of have standardized and I will be able to, you know, at least hand it out to all of the municipal boards and say, here is a process for you. And here is some compliance that you can have in place. So when anyone's coming through and they're pulling permits, you can have them answer all of this. And he had a really great idea about, you know, keeping a file on that and and taking a deposit and then utilizing those retired utility workers in the yes. area as, in essence, a source of truth of whether this work has been done and use them as an inspector, just like we have building inspectors in the area, and ensure that their work was done to the quality and standard that we would like to see and there wasn't damage in the right of way that wasn't remediated accurately or correctly. And then I also work with our soil and water department on the environmental compliance side of all of that as well, which we're going to be getting into later this year. We started it last year and we're still waiting to hear back from those federal entities on some work we're doing. And that really was kind of eye-opening to listen to Jason talk about their experiences because they are a utility that has been working with contractors and they work with contractors that they know Mm -hmm. and that they trust. And these things still happen. He said, I think once or twice a year. And that is something that they don't find out about until later. And so if you think of all of these municipalities who don't have 
anybody whose job it is to actually follow up with these things. I just thought it was one of those parts of this very big and intricate puzzle that they wouldn't have thought of until, oops, it actually happened, which is another reason why this resource in your office and the things that you're pulling together are so important. There was another thing that you talked about during that committee meeting, and it was an overall permit, and you can maybe talk about this, with U.S. Fish and Wildlife. So what was that about? So that is the environmental compliance side of things that we got into with our soil and water department. So it's called a Section 7, and it's really answering that we have remediation in place for any environmental compliance, no matter what it is. So we have a lot of, you know, we have certain endangered species in every area and every county. We're pretty, in Door County, we're we're very aware of where those things are, whether it's dwarf like iris or whether the, whether it's Heinz Eye Metal Dragonfly. We have like Rusty Patch Bumblebee. I am learning things that I, ne- <laughs> I never thought I would learn in this job. Yeah, you're doing a good job ticking those <laughs> yeah. off. Um, and like where they are and then what the suggested times are to do work in them. Um, we also have like, I think it's brown nose bats. I may be wrong on that species, yeah. but when we can do tree trimming, and when we cannot because of the bats and when they're nesting and the same thing with the rusty patch bumblebee or like Heinz Emerald Dragonfly, you know, so certain times of the year when we have to avoid certain areas. And then if something does happen, if it's outside of that, what do what remediation do we have in place to take care of that? And working with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, what we did is um, we, we basically just said, like, here's our plan for the entire county, we are going to be having ongoing work for, let's say, 10 years. Yeah, That Section 7 will cover up to five years. That's what I was wondering. So they would give a permit. They would give a an overall permit if they will, okay. um, if they accept our plan, and if they feel that they have the right to do that. Okay. They may like our plan, and they may say, this is great. We, we feel that this ticks all the boxes and it meets all the needs, but we don't have the authority to do this. Then at that point, we go to Wisconsin Fish and Wildlife and and do the same thing, which we would have to do anyway. We start at a federal level, from my understanding, and then we come down to a state level and we so would the give DNR, them the same plan. Like the yeah. Wisconsin Par- Department yeah, Wisconsin of Natural Fish Resources. and Wildlife and yep, DNR, okay. and just say like we know we're going to have this work going, you know, ongoing. Here is what we're suggesting, you know, and then in essence, providers will be able to. Um, we would give them information to the municipalities and or they could get it from us as a county and say hey we have this in place Mm -hmm. and this is what we're asking one of the things that we discussed sam coyan that works in our soil and water department that we discussed when we were going over this is you know all of these right of ways if they're if they're bearing um there could be you know a lot of soil disruption and yes they can go back in and they can seed it in hay and you know just put grass back in but we are interested in having a lot of monarchs in the area. So is it better to maybe in some areas put in wildflower, you know, into, does it make sense to like seed this or, you know, so what we're doing is having conversations and that and saying like, well, how can we get more wildflowers in the area so that we can ensure that monarchs have food and are coming back? Or, I mean, I don't know that we would suggest milkweed because that could just get very out of control Mm, very fast, mm -hmm. but that's something that, you know, she specializes in that. So those are the conversations that we have and we're waiting to hear back from 
U.S. Okay. Fish and Wildlife on that. So that would be a five-year permit to cover a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And would that be applicable to every municipality, like yeah, all would towns be, and villages, the yes. city, no matter what? Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that, that's that, why we did it. Okay. All right. Well, that would be awfully helpful, I It'll imagine. It'll take the to, lift, and then we would just be able to say to any ISP doing work, like, here you go, we already did this. Yes. And it's And this is what's in place, and this is what we're asking you to do. And then the municipalities do not have to go through any of that, which is wonderful. So with all of this work that's being done and all of it being done in anticipation of this bead money that's going to be coming down, when do you realistically see grants coming into communities from this bead money? Oh, you know, I like to say roughly summer of 2024 would be the first funding, the reason. That soon, next year. Possibly, yeah, because depending on some hoops that the Public Service Commission still has to jump through, they have an initial proposal that has to go in at the end of December to NTIA, and then um, that triggers a state challenge process for mapping. And then there's a final proposal that has to go in with that. But if the initial proposal is approved, they get the first 20% of that one billion fifty-five million, okay, which comes out. I've done the math on it. It's like two hundred eighty-four million, okay, that they get, which is more than any of the granted years yeah. that Wisconsin had. So, yes. and probably that's about the total. five times more. Okay, if you look at like historically, I think we've funded like yeah. three hundred and eleven yeah. million or right. something along that. So, okay. yep. So it's still a good chunk of change, and that could come down as or start coming out as soon as. 2024. Yeah, if that initial proposal is approved and they issue that 20%, then the state still has to write, the Public Service Commission still has to write their final proposal. But what the final proposal is, which this really caught me off guard, is is that they have to determine in 365 days where that $1 billion, $55 million is going to go. Oh. And then submit a final proposal to NTIA saying, this is where we're going to fund in the state. So they're predetermining who, oh. They have to predetermine. So they're going to have to be very creative with that funding on this because it's not going to just be a traditional grant process for all of that funding. Okay. They're probably going to have to enter into auctions Hmm. in areas kind of similar to the FCC RDOF auction or the ACAM auctions, what they're going to have to do is, because they have to be good stewards of this money and they have to be very responsible and spread it statewide. And there are definitely areas that need this funding and need to have broadband available, whether it's fiber or fixed wireless. And there are areas that don't have providers that are interested in doing that work. So they're going to have to kind of look at where are some density areas that we're not getting grant funding applications in, or we know they really need this, they're going to have to kind of put certain, you know, I don't know if they do a full county, but maybe certain municipalities in a county or something that they know need that work and put them up for auction in essence to ensure that they have equity and that they're taken care of. So this is going to be a very surprise, unique process once they kind of publish that and we see, you know, what's going on, which... This funding will then push into 25 because 
once that final proposal is taken in and approved, then they will release the other 80% of it. So just because they determine where these things may go doesn't mean that the process is starting and the grants are starting. This is a very long process. Sure. A lot of municipalities in Dora County aren't really depending upon the grants that they're going to be receiving, though they do want to help fund their projects with them, um, which is kind of a cool thing. So it's not like everybody is gearing up, getting ready, and then there's a big disappointment coming because nobody's getting the money that they thought that they would be getting? Or? I, I tried to be very honest with them, you know, in this process, which is why the current grant round that's open, the capital project fund that is open, that is a $42 million funding source for this from the U.S. Treasury. I have kind of like really been prepping everyone for this one. We just had no idea when they were going to release and open this round. And there's a lot more flexibility in CPF than there is with BEAD. And the requirements are a higher requirement. They want to see 100 by 100 symmetrical connections in place. And the eligibility for locations almost, I mean, so many more locations are eligible under CPF than they are for BEAD. So I have been kind of on-ramping everyone to be prepared for this. And we do, we have... I think at this point, we have at least seven municipalities that are going to be applying for that. Okay, wow. All right. Well, we'll see what happens there. We will see what happens. Right. So we are uh, nearing on 40 minutes here. So, Jesse, I want to thank you for coming in and updating us and giving us the rundown. It's really kind of, really, it's impressive the amount of uh, knowledge you have in your head about everything that's going on and the resources, you know, that the county is providing for all of these municipalities. So we will have you back again way sooner than a year from now because I know that the horizon is going to change real fast and things are going to be happening even more within the next six months. So we'll, we'll see what the future brings, but it all sounds like it's really positive stuff. And pretty soon I won't have to rely upon my satellite. <laughs> yes. I, I really hope for your sake yes. um, that is the case. And I, I think that Sevastopol is doing that work regardless of a grant or not, because it's a very affordable offering for yeah. them to make that decision. Right. I mean, I think it was the, at least the proposal that was made and that they're going to be recommending with AT&T. I think it was less than $2 a month per resident in additional property tax yeah. to fund this, which is, as Hugh Zettel said, it is less than what most people pay for coffee. You yeah, know? absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you can't even get anything at Starbucks yes, for this cost. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Jesse, thanks so much. And thanks for all you do. And uh, you're listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.